0: This podcast provides information to help esports professionals identify and approach legal problems. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only. Legal information is not the same as legal advice, which is an application of law to a party's specific set
1: of circumstances. You should not and are not authorized to use this podcast as a source of legal advice. And the information in this podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between the Law of Esports podcast, any of the lawyers or affiliates of the podcast, and any consumer of this podcast.
0: Welcome to the Law of Esports podcast, the number one podcast that discusses legal issues as they relate to the world of esports. My name is Jake Hicks, and I'm an attorney that represents teams, leagues, and organizations.
1: And my name is Nephi Lopez, and I'm an attorney that represents players, streamers, and personalities.
0: And today we are extraordinarily excited because we have one of the biggest names in esports, one of the biggest names in investigative journalism, certainly within esports. And another installment of our pro-op series where we bring you interviews with professionals from across the spectrum of esports jobs. And today we have perhaps the premier journalist in esports mr richard lewis editor at large for DeSerto, adjunct professor of esports integrity at the university of new haven in connecticut and also two-time esports award-winning journalist and number one journalist in our hearts mr richard lewis thank you for joining us
2: yeah good to be here thanks for very much guys uh, i feel a little bit underdressed but um <laughs> you know it's that, a common thing <laughs> No, I spent I spent years wearing suits. I I almost toyed with the idea of like wearing a suit, but we're in an extreme heat crisis at the moment in uh, the UK. Oh. So,
1: a <laughs> lot oh, better than you.
2: I don't blame <laughs> don't you. Wanna, we're we're we're, we're in Houston, no,
1: and uh, along with mm. it being super hot, it's also super humid. So you walk outside,
2: and it's like an instant like just shower. You're just wet.
1: Yeah, so, we're not uh, big
2: on air conditioning like uh, here in in the UK. I, oh, I'm that's sure right. You've seen the memes? Yeah, we just don't have no, that. Yeah. So oh, that's rough, we, man. We, we just suffer in silence. Um. <laughs> awesome. Awesome.
1: Well, obviously <laughs> well, we've, we've, for uh, it for us, but, uh, Yeah.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much, man. And uh, you
1: know, I'm sure the, the, the listeners know who you are. Uh, we're happy to have you on. Uh, these are one of the few chances where people like yourself kind of get a chance. You, you're always constantly talking about others, but you never really get a chance to talk for yourself. I know I always say it. I want to say it here and we're excited to really get to know you a little bit more and kind of, Uh, have you dropped some knowledge on us, the listeners and the viewers. So uh, let's get started off with just a little bit of background information on yourself. Can you Mm. tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from, where you grew up?
2: Uh, Yeah, kind of a bit of a a mongrel, uh, you know, uh, grew up um, in the northeast of England. um, You know, Welsh lineage, uh, the surname Lewis. Uh, But um, obviously a bit of a mix uh, from sort of two family lines, which were very much, uh, you know, blue collar, uh, a lot of miners in the the family, people, you know, going down the pits, as they call it. And um, so spent most of my time in a very uh, small colliery town in the northeast of England where, you know, the housing was essentially built for the local workers in the mine, and uh, we had one local pub uh, that we would go and and drink in, uh, which, uh, you know, it was a different time. I was encouraged to spend time in from a very tender young age. Uh, They would take me in when I was about, you know, six, seven, eight, sit me at the end of the bar. They would feed me pub shandy, uh, which is a little bit of beer, obviously topped up with lemonade. Uh, and, uh, you know, kind of grew up in that in- environment and, um, you know, always figured I'd probably do something manual myself. You know, a lot of military people, you know, one way to escape the existential horrors of going down hundreds of feet <laughs> beneath the ground and, and uh, you know, carving rock. Uh, to get coal or whatever, uh, one of the ways you get out of that is you join the military, right? So a lot of military uh, in my family as well. I, I, I thought that was where I was going to end up, um, but it didn't happen. I went to university and um, studied uh, originally philosophy, but uh, realized that was a waste of everyone's time, uh, <laughs> mostly mine, and um, switched to media. They, they had a brand-new media and journalism Uh, department that got opened by sir anthony hopkins uh who came and opened it for us wonderful chap got to talk to him at lunch um and uh you know never never really looked back learned about you know media american media that's what interested me and by the time i graduated um you know i've always been a big gamer i've always been interested in video games so by the time i by the time i got out of university i was like you know how am i gonna apply what i know what i'm trained to do and what i like and so essentially started pitching to uh magazines you know computer magazines had a much better reputation back then at the turn of the century mm-hmm. um and and certainly had a much better caliber of writer as well uh, and so i uh, started pitching to them they said tell you what as this thing that's popping off. It's, you know, competitive gaming, cyber athleticism, bunch of ridiculous names for it prior to the, you know, uh, advent of eSports being the, you know, title we settled on. So I started infiltrating competitive gaming scenes and uh, writing about it to try and sell them the articles, which nobody bought. And, uh, <laughs> <eventually>, <laughs> uh, and I was, like, using my own credit cards to fund all this shit and in the end, uh, basically, I decided to sort of stick around. So from about two thousand and four, two thousand and five onwards, uh, nice. I sort of became the go-to, you know, writer across a number of uh, a number of scenes um, in esports. Because you know, I just met some cool people. I mean, I think it's yeah. like any job, right? Um, you stick around for the people. It's not really necessarily what you do. So okay. there you go. That's how I got started.
1: All right, Richard, thank you so much. You just gave us a lot of uh, a lot of information. So let's 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 unpack that a little bit, right? You kind of mm-hmm. gave us a full timeline of when you started to to now you're covering esports. So uh let's let's kind of start off at the beginning, right? I you know, obviously Jake and I, we're both athletes. We we well we used to be at least, maybe not anymore. Uh I we know that you yourself actually used to be into sports. Can you tell mm. us, you know, kind of what happened? Where where was that dividing where you said, you know what, instead of pursuing sports, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with esports and, and focus on video games instead?
2: Yeah, I mean, so when I was at uh, you know, university and all prior to that, I was very into, you know, youth sports again. It's just what you do in kind of like you know, blue collar uh, kind of neighborhoods. Uh, but what was interesting was obviously it was all football. You know, growing up, uh, and then um, you know, it, it, I sort of I had a growth spurt very early on. You know, when I was twelve, I like shut up, so I'm, I'm the sort of same size, you know, now as I, as I was then. And they uh, started they threw me into rugby. So rugby was a you know a, a, a new thing to me. Played a lot of that growing up was. A relatively hard worker and had my, uh, you know, head screwed on about as much as any teenager, uh, but uh, just wasn't really, uh, wasn't really good enough. You know, they didn't didn't quite have the the, the grades to go to the next level. Um, but played it all through university and stuff. Did some boxing as well. Did some MMA back then. It was oh, shoot, sh- but back then it was before. Brazilian jiu-jitsu had really taken over. Uh, so we did what they used to call shoot fighting, which of course got massively discredited because of some of the f- frauds and phonies that were involved in it. But I had a shoot fighting coach who so did that for a <laughs> while. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, once, uh, once I started, you know, Getting into that office life grind, you know, to be in a salesperson, and and you know, which is what I had to do to pay the bills. Once I, because you know, you don't walk into a journalism job unless you're a a posh wanker from London with uh with with <laughs> with, 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 with a father that runs uh you know runs a newspaper. Um, you know, I I, I had to I had to go and be a salesperson, and so I was like waiting, you know, to, for for a big opportunity to come through, and while you're doing that. You're getting old, you're getting fat, you're getting bald. Uh basically basically when I was when I was when I was doing sports, you know, big drinking culture in rugby. Uh, and I loved the drinking. That was my favorite part of, rugby, of the game, really. Uh but the, the the problem is when you stop playing the sport and you stop training, but you keep the drinking in your life. Uh terrible things catches happen up with to you. The, yeah, <laughs> terrible things happen to the yeah. physical form as you can see. So um yeah, I, I uh, you know uh, basically had to sort of shelve all of that. You know, there's only so many hours in the day. And, you know, when I got really serious and, like, you know, I enjoyed a little bit of the notoriety and status that came. It was, like, kind of interesting because, you know, I got to the top of the esports journalism hill very quickly because it's a, it's not really a hill. It's more like a speed bump, you know. There wasn't a lot of people doing it. And, and honestly, the quality was absolutely terrible back then. Um, oh, yeah. And you know, there was, like, no one had had any training you know it was literally people doing it out of passion doing it because they wanted to try and chronicle what was happening so yeah I enjoyed it I enjoyed all that like you know notoriety and attention I got at the start and probably as much as the people that was like another big influence and in sticking around if I'm honest about it nice
0: well and and you definitely had some early successes mm. in esports journalism but And by the same token, when you were growing up, did you have any sort of journalism influences or was there any sort of journalism or content that you consumed that you thought about as you moved into that world. Yeah, I mean,
2: my dad, so my dad was in prison for most of my life. I don't I don't talk to him. Um I haven't I haven't seen him I think last time I saw him I was 17 or thereabouts. Wow. Um so uh, but you know whatever like you know he's guy's a psychopath. Uh so fine. Uh, don't need that in your life, but when I was very when I was young, young, uh, we used to go and visit him in, in prison. He served in a maximum security prison. Very unpleasant experience because obviously they have to search the kids as well, you know, when, when you go in there. Um, but uh, he gave me a book because uh, he was big into his gangs and gang culture. And he, uh, I remember one, one he, was, he, he was allowed to give me, you know, he checked it with the warden and everything. He gave me a copy of uh, Hunter S. Thompson's Hell's Angels. And I must have been, I mean, again, you're talking about 10 years old. I was exposed to a lot of things. I probably shouldn't have been uh, a lot sooner. Um, But uh, I remember getting that book and and being like, I'm never going to really... I don't really care about this. It's all a bit stupid. Uh, but um, I read it, you know, and I didn't know who Hunter S. Thompson was. I didn't really know who the hell's angels were. I didn't know why my dad was giving me this book or why he thought it would be appropriate for a 10-year-old child. Uh, but uh, but but I read it. I read it at a very young age. I was quite an advanced reader. I You know, I was pretty isolated as a kid because I grew up in a very rough council estate, as I said, in the colliery, uh, where it was all... You know, when I say council estate, I mean government-owned housing. Very low-income families. There was a lot of violence on the estate. A lot of sort of petty grievances settled. I spent a lot of time indoors reading books, and um, you know, obviously, it, it was the best way to escape the kind of drudgery of of living in an environment like that. And so, I read this book, and I was like, kind of blown away by it. And so I started see, by the time, you know, I hit my early teens, by the time I was at school, um, I, uh, you know, was kind of like reading these very adult books. But, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche. Thompson was a huge influence on what I wanted to do. You know, I now realize now, actually, in in retrospect, uh, a great writer, but actually a terrible journalist (laughs) in a lot of ways. (laughs) Um, But, but, um, you know, my first ever gamer name was like, uh, well, my second, actually, was Gonzo. You know, Dr. Gonzo. And oh, uh, I, yeah, I used to have that for a long period of time uh, till I hit about, you know, 2010, 2011, when I was like, listen, we really should drop these gamer nicknames. They're really juvenile. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, it's very discrediting. So that's how I sort of became just. Plain old Richard Lewis, but yeah. So Thompson was it was a huge influence, which is probably the only thing I've actually got my father a, th- a thank for inadvertently. So cheers, Dad. Yeah, that's an awesome story.
1: <laughs> now uh, oh, that's incredible. Uh, so you go you go through university. Um, You know why why esports? Was it just a random opportunity that appeared for you, where you're like, you know what, this is this is something that just kind of fell into your lap. Or because you were, you know, already a fan of video games, that you decided to pursue, you know, video competitive video games specifically. I mean, was it just mm. something that happened, or
2: you, or you chose to kind of go that route? Yeah. So when I was at uh, university, you know, I, I edited the, uh, the 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 paper there, and um, what the I used to be a music reviewer. I was mad on my music. Thought I was going to be a music journalist, you know, uh, but I messed up. I made a number of very inappropriate comments. Uh, which would, which if i were to repeat them would get uh, get me canceled but basically the gimmick the the the, the gimmick the gimmick of my uh t- t- just i've got everyone worried now so i'll clarify uh the uh, the gimmick of my uh, uh uh music reviews was the review was always bad Unl- unless it okay. was like unless unless the music absolutely blew me away uh and basically i, I you know you when when you get the – the cds every month from you know a, a week or whatever it was from you know nus that's the national union of students who i was working for they just send you a bag you know a parcel just of cds and you're pulling them out and it's like it's whitney houston it's it's cocaine <laughs> era whitney houston not even good whitney houston not even a good whitney houston yeah exactly it's it's like you need to go to rehab whitney houston it and you know and, and it's avril levine you know, 14 year old Avril Lavigne, you know, and you're pulling all this stuff out. And I was just like, this is just an absurd, like there's just got, (laughs) it's just a, it's just a box of garbage I get every week. So basically I said, I'm pretty much like I'm saying now, I was just saying like, you know, my reviews would, uh, I was very, I was very withering about Whitney Houston is what did it. Um, (laughs) uh, The review was basically talking about all the problems in a personal life. God rest her soul. You know, I was young. Uh, I didn't have a handle on the horrors of addiction and bad relationships. I was very flippant. Um, And so, you know, I made some pretty withering comments about her and music, her life trajectory And and NUS just said, you can't, say this, <laughs> um, this like is, this <laughs> is not good <laughs> yeah you, you everybody can't, likes her except for yeah yourself, like. yeah exactly uh, they so so they said you can't be this you can't be this mean uh essentially was was the the order from the top so they pulled me off they pulled me off music they said you can't do the music anymore because all the record <laughs> labels were threatening they would you have to send a copy of the review back to the uh, PR person that sends out the CDs, and they are going, this guy gives one star to everything we send. Uh, look what he's written about Whitney Houston. We can't, <laughs> we can't do this anymore. And so they said, don't worry, we'll fire him from the music. And then they said, look, no one really cares about the video games you can do the video game reviews, but bring somebody else in to do the music. So I said, all right, fine. I just want to keep the job, I want to stay on as editor of the paper. Um, and so I started doing game reviews. And I was already a big gamer, as I said, but this sort of was interesting because I had to think about things like Game design had to think about things like um, you know the 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 kind of viability of something being um, a two-player game, you know, a good one-player game, you know, narrative structure, uh, you know, all all of these things that kind of like creep in. You know, this is before everyone was hammering on about you know Ludo narrative dissonance and other wanky terms like that. So it uh, uh, the, every time like the two-player games would kind of come in. Um, you know, I was kind of always watching which one had, like, a popularity, which one had an almost status and a swagger, to, like w- what it was worth being good at. And obviously, I think the first one must have been, the first one where I really started to understand what esports was was when I got Tekken 2. We had a big Tekken mm. 2, and there was, like, a bunch of Tekken uh, 2 tournaments around Britain, and I got invited to go to some of them. Um, and I and I went and you know, it wasn't glamorous. Uh, it was, you know, like twenty dudes, <laughs> twenty dudes in a barn hunched round a big L C D, not even L C D, just one of those big like TVs that like if you stare at it too long, it like burns your shadow into the carpet. <laughs> um yeah. uh, but but that was my first kind of exposure to, you know, people actually competing for prize money. At the same time, I was hearing rumblings about you know this, the StarCraft which I would played, uh, and how well that was doing in Korea, in South Korea. And so, you know, I, I when I was already kind of au fait, if you like, with with esports as a concept and it existing. Um, and when I got an opportunity to do a bit more about it, it was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, this is this is a real thing now because we've been talking about it for a few years.
1: Okay. So it, it sounds it sounds like you got into it pretty early oh. on, man. If you're sitting in a room with twenty dudes playing Tekken, <laughs> and mm. uh, and we're talking about StarCraft, which is, I think it's it's along with some of the fighter game. I know that I know the fighting games, um, those 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 kinds of games, and I know there's a lot of different ways to sort of label those. Um, are some of the first ones, but StarCraft. Yeah. I remember whenever that first started, um, it did become huge in Korea first. Uh, and so was was that really? I mean, obviously that tech and experience was one of your first ones with esports being in person. And 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 I know exactly what kind of the, those TVs you're talking about because they were still around as I was, you know, uh, growing up and playing and watching some of these tournaments early on. Um, and so so tell us a little bit kind of about how. So it sounds to me like. You were working for this um, for this organization, and was it a newspaper or, or?
2: Yeah, basically, how it works is every university in the UK uh, is under the kind of uh, you know umbrella of the National Union of Students. It's uh, it's like a political group. But then the being in, in the national union, be, uh, being ratified and recognized by NUS, confers certain constitutional rights, if you like. And one of mm. those constitutional rights is you have the right to a uh, college paper, a university paper, mm. okay. um, which, uh, which uh, is to be funded by the university. Um, so basically, I was the editor of our you know, version of that and um Kinda. you know and 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 obviously NUS as well creates certain provisions like getting music CDs and video games and, and running and uh, connecting you with PR people to do like competitions you know like for the for the readership like one one for example one year well one term um they were they uh, we had it was the best term of my life uh, they they uh, connected with southern comfort the drink and uh, oh, they were running a they were running a poker tournament. It was when you know Texas Hold'em was first really taken off. And uh, yep. Yep. they said, like, basically, what you were supposed to do was, uh, you know, run some poker tournaments, and they would send you some bottles of Southern Comfort to give out to the winners. Now, they were supposed to send like a bottle for like you know first, second, and third, and there was like final, there was monetary prizes as well. But for some reason, they sent me a case, so twenty-four <laughs> bottles of Southern Comfort, and so I wrote back to them and I said, Perfect. "Oh, there's been a mistake. Uh, you've sent me too. You've sent me too much Southern Comfort for the poker tournament. What do I do with it?" And they said, "Oh, we'll get back to you." And that somehow got translated to they didn't get the Southern Comfort, so they sent me another case. So I had (laughs) forty-eight bottles of Southern Comfort, of which I was only obliged to give away three. And I'll tell you, I only gave away three. Um, And and, perks, (laughs) yeah. And me and me and my friends uh, ploughed through the through the rest. Uh, And I've never been able to touch Southern Comfort again since. Uh, Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, I can't stand uh, the smell of it. So that, that's basically what it was like. It was, you know, it was a, it was a frivolous publication, really. That was kind of like done on other people's dime. But I had to oversee the, you know, m- machinery of it. You know, I literally had to print it out physically, bind it, you know, get it all ready for, and then take it to the printing press where they would put it through and and, and mass produce it. And then I had to distribute it. And I had to do all this to deadline. So it was a really good, uh, it taught you a little bit of everything about journalism, essentially. Not just the writing, but also the the nuts and bolts of producing a magazine. Interesting.
0: Well, was your column early on, was your column all in print or was some of your column web-based web as well? Uh, no, no.
2: This writing. is like, so when I went to university, the, we didn't even have the internet in our rooms. Yeah, well, that was like you had to go to you had to go to like this thing, this office office with computers in, and you had to buy your time or log in, you know, like essentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and they would give you a, a X amount of internet. Um, yeah, and I feel like that's such a wild concept for younger folks, but I mean, mm-hmm.
1: that's that's kind of the internet we grew up when we used, you know. And there's there's still a thing, you know, internet cafes and and you know paying. Uh and you know, obviously your guys' currency is a little different, but like 50 yeah. cents or a dollar for 15 minutes or 10 minutes of internet or 30 minutes. Uh, and so man, and, and so you were in there early on. So, so yeah. let's let's kind of backtrack a little bit and let's talk about the evolution of esports, you yeah. seeing it as um sort of I guess a journalist, right? It started with Tekken. You saw StarCraft. Let's pick up at StarCraft. At what point did yeah. you notice, holy cow, this is gonna be like a world phenomenon? This is something that I need to keep being involved with
2: well i'll I'll be honest that never that one never really went in like starcraft comes out in like 98 uh brood war i think might be the year after maybe 2000 i'm pretty sure it was 99 um and i played it you know i played like single player but it was more kind of like strange rumblings like that were coming out like I knew some people uh that were really into gaming in a way that perhaps even I wasn't and they would say stuff like you know they play this like as a sport out in Korea you know and 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 I was like you oh, know well you know that's like it, 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 that that that's cool I guess uh you know because <laughs> you, you, you're all you're always raised in in the west you know one of the big tropes of um uh, that, that used to get hammered on television is you know aren't aren't all these foreign countries like strange aren't they strange to like you know to to, to us in in england and america you know particularly japan which was always presented as this like you know almost utopic you know uh to to t- technologically advanced country but with really weird funny things on television and look at sumo wrestling ha 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 and stuff like this that was kind of like the zeitgeist at the time so you know when someone told me hey there's an asian country where they're playing video games professionally i was kind of like well yeah i mean you know they 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 love technology in in asian countries don't they and of course what i realized you know um many, many years later when I learned more about the scene is actually, no, that that, that, they, they, they don't, Asian countries don't, you know, love or embrace technology any more than us. It's actually what happened in South Korea for Starcraft was an incredible, uh, you know, confluence of, of multiple events. You know, for example, um, they went into a recession, a really bad recession, at the same time, the government had pledged to give everybody broadband. They said, we're going we're gonna to be ahead on the internet with broadband, which, by the way, again, for the Zoomers, if anyone, any Zoomers are watching, that's what we used to call fast internet back then. Uh, but yeah. uh, it, you know, the government had said, we'll give you all broadband. And then on top of that, there's a recession. Then on top of that, they have trade embargoes on Japanese equipment, so they don't play consoles. They play PCs. You want to own a console in South Korea at that time. You have to be incredibly wealthy because of the import tax on a Nintendo or a Sega. So everyone's going to PCs. Then you've got this recession. So how do people get themselves out of recession? Well, one of the things the government was advising was start a small business. And one of the things that was incredibly uh, cost-effective to do was to stick a bunch of PCs in a room and with your government-mandated broadband and basically run a land cafe you could even get startup loans for this even in a recession to do it so you end up with pc band culture land cafe culture people go and they play starcraft which happened to be unbelievably popular why because you could take that disk and install it on 60 pcs 100 pcs 1000 pcs it didn't you didn't need a code for each installation so that's how it it took off and became so popular and so you know when when you when you learn these things it was like no wonder they put that on television it was culturally relevant it had it had really you know permeated the consciousness over there it's not just because they like video games more than the average Brit or whatever so um yeah it was kind of like I I didn't find this out until many many years later I was very dismissive at the start but from about 2004 2005 onwards you know my jam originally was the the FPS games like I'd seen fighting games they were like meh i'd heard about starcraft i was like single player campaign's pretty good but i'm never going to get to south korea in my lifetime am i I'm just a working class kid so whatever uh and then obviously the fps uh, games particularly counter strike that's what was popping off in europe that's what everyone was playing and i got out of university just at the same time valve had dropped uh half-life 2 the source engine Uh, And, of course, obviously, the first uh, famous popular mod they made was Counter-Strike Source, which I played, having played a little bit of previous versions of Counter-Strike. And that was what really took over, you know, my life and, and, you know, my interest in esports. It was that particular game, that particular scene. Wow.
0: So about what year did you move into... Uh, being more committed to journalism. Mm.
2: So by 2005, I was writing for a blog uh, that's obviously now defunct. Everything's defunct from like, <laughs> you know, 2005. Um, but I was writing for a blog called Source Junkie. It was run by a chap called Junks. I won't give his real name because uh, <laughs> he was a character, you know. And keep in mind, I was, because of the Hunter S. Thompson influence. I'd spent a sort of a large period of time convincing myself I could be a very good journalist by simply turning up to events, drinking heavily, uh, and then writing about the things my junk brain tells me are accurate. And so that was essentially (laughs) the style. You know, I was trying to embrace that concept of journalism. It's all a bit cringe looking back, but Junks, (laughs) who ran Source Junkie, he was the same. He was a, you know, Coke fiend. Um, for example, he got invited to the BAFTAs uh when they did started doing gaming awards one year. And uh I don't know why or how, but he took two escorts. He took like two what? two esc- Yeah, he took two Eastern European escorts with him to the BAFTAs and was walking around with a girl on each arm, having pictures like taken of uh like he was famous. That's and awesome. he so and awesome. he he was like the dude that ran That's this awesome. like stupid little counter-strike source blog for absolutely no money uh it was him and a guy called penguin (laughs) um so anyway you know what what they very quickly realized was the benefit of being small was that we could say things that would piss everybody off um it's around this time i started uh because people associate me with investigative journalism i was actually i started the first ever esports gossip column i think um, although there's a lot of dispute because I guess for a car car the Swedish one kind of was that, uh, but you know, but uh, but but uh, but I I did basically a gossip column. I would go to like events and be like, these are the rumors that I heard in rooms I shouldn't have been in, and I would write it up. And uh, everyone hated that. Everyone wanted to kill me uh, for doing that, <laughs> um, even though it was this tiny is- little scene. <laughs> <laughs> Is it because they,
1: you were saying things that were yeah. controversial wasn't lining up with like sort of the the the, the mainstream?
2: Yeah, but kind of also every, everyone was just super sensitive. It's it's so crazy. Like looking back, because Counter Strike Source, like especially in two thousand and five, two thousand and six, it's like barely a scene. It's barely. It's like you went. You basically paid to play. Essentially, you would go to a LAN, you would go to an event, and you would lose money. By the end. Because you know the prize, the prize money you would win if you were lucky enough to win any, would uh, wouldn't cover the costs. It wouldn't cover the drinking. So people paid to play. You know, like that was the mo the motivating factor to win a LAN uh, in the early days in the Counter Strike source scene at least was to cover the maybe you can cover the bar tab <laughs> just to break even. Yeah, pretty much. So so that's how we were doing it. But basically, I would go to these events and everybody hated me. I would run. I would write up. Uh, diaries of the event which again was essentially me you know going um, you know taking a bunch of speed staying up for four days and just Boom! <laughs> but just bash, you know, like a like a student with a car, you know, with exams. Just stay up for days, bash it all out, submit it, and it would just be raw, and it would just be what was happening and what people were doing and saying, and everybody hated it. Uh, like the the readers liked it, but if you were in the scene, everybody hated it. It made players look bad. Uh, it made people look unprofessional. Although, you know, real talk, you should be unprofessional. It wasn't a professional scene. Um, right. You know, uh, you should be having fun, but people hated it. I used to do seedings as well. I would be like, these are my predictions for an upcoming Counter-Strike Source tournament, and I would just be brutal. I'd be like, that team is terrible. This player in particular is an onliner. He probably cheats, uh, so this team's going to get blasted out of the tournament. I can't believe they seeded sixth or whatever. And people used you know, there was one year... um, I mean, I had players threaten me all the time, but there was one year where I'd done one of those write-ups and uh, a a, a team that I'd said were going to go out in groups uh, were caught on a recording on like TeamSpeak or Ventrilo or whatever it was back then, uh, threatening to stab me. They were planning and they were planning a knife attack on me um <laughs> and 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 one of the guys on there recorded it and they were like going okay well the security is usually at the door so we'll go over and distract security you walk in you shank him and 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 i got the recording and i sent it to the people that were running this land, and uh, i said you got to ban them right they're like planning to murder me at your event and they <laughs> and, and and they said they've already paid for their tickets maybe you shouldn't come so no no way yeah so 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 that's 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 how popular i was at the start um but yeah from 2005 2000 like onwards that was that was basically when i fully committed to it i was all in because the alternative was you know let's say i was working a sales job you know i sold um you know, uh, what what do you call it, like subscription TV packages mm, okay. to people, you know, porn and, um, mm. you know, uh, sports. Like HBO, movies. I guess, whatever version they had back then. Mo- mostly yeah. porn. Uh, <laughs> and I uh, was very big in the UK, you know. You call people up, you want a bit of ooh-la-la on your TV, you know. But... Um, <laughs> But uh, that, that, and then uh, selling mobile phones as well, you know, selling, trying to sell mobile phone contracts in one of the most impoverished parts of Britain. Um, sounds rough man sounds rough. Oh, sounds like yeah it's a tough mm, sell yeah <laughs> yeah oh really was yeah yeah hey, you've got no money and no credit rating would you be interested in this i need to sell a contract that's worth 800 pounds minimum over the year to hit my commission please come in and let's see what we can do <laughs> so you know i was doing that and i was <laughs> like you know that sucks and then eventually i i got a i got a break with uh, the championship gaming series about 2007 i want to say um, you know, I finally actually got a salary job in esports. So, and that was that was going to be my next question. Well, and and and, yeah. and, and Jake, uh,
1: yeah. it, it, we're probably going to ask the same question. Honestly, is it, it at what point did it turn into like uh, instead of a net negative? Right, you're spending money, drinking, going out, partying with mm. these guys, versus actually turning it into a, a, a career that you can pay your
2: bills with. Mm. Yeah, it's probably. I mean, it's roundabout. Then you have to understand. Like, I'd missed. I'd missed getting any money in the first esports bubble, which was around CPL. CPL was a massive scam, you know. And and uh, the guy that ran it, Angel uh, Angel Munoz, who is often called the Godfather of esports. I mean, that's appropriate because he was a criminal. Uh, <laughs> you know, like he still owes tens of thousands of dollars to people. Uh, to this day, <laughs> like, you know, there's there's people that played in those tournaments that won prize money that have not been paid. Never got. Paid. Uh, yeah. He was in a documentary wow. quite famously called Frag, uh, where he uh, he's bigging up the CPL and, you know, how it's a passion project for him. And he was telling those guys that film that documentary, please don't film my house. I don't want people to see I've got a massive extension and a pool and all of this stuff. Um, So he was a guy that, like, he got got wealthy off uh, the early esports dream. Not a lot of people did. That bubble popped. I'd missed it. I was in a scene that was so small and community-focused, I wasn't making money anyway. So a bubble bursting couldn't affect me. There was nothing to lose. But by 2007, News Corp, you know, Fox, uh, the Murdochs, they are like, okay, this esports thing will be good. Let's uh, let's go hook the youth. Let's get them in, and uh, we'll, um, you know, we'll we'll uh, we'll throw some money at this project. And they started something called the Championship Gaming Series, which was to bring in, you know. Counter-Strike Source, uh, Dead or Alive, I think, was the fighting game. Uh, was it Project Gotham Racing? Uh, was the racing game. FIFA. We're going to throw it all together, you know, and you build a team, you build a franchise, it's going to have a name, it's all going to be regional, and we'll put it on TV. And they dropped $60 million into what was wow. meant to be a five-year plan, and that type of money was unheard of in esports at that time. Now, me, I was writing for free uh, at a website called Cat. Adred, which is a terrible name. You'll notice, you know, all these websites have awful names, don't they? Um, but that was because it was a, it was a Finnish. Team website. there was a very good Finnish team called Insignia Cadre, and so they just added a D at the end of Cadre, Cadred, and that was their team website. That became Creative. one of the biggest news websites. Uh, you know, they're Finnish. It's okay. Like, there uh, I've got a lot of Finnish <laughs> friends who run my Discord. They're a very stoic. They're a very stoic group. They're not. Uh, their language, by the way, as well, is a nightmare to like just look at it written down. I don't know how anybody can speak it or <laughs> pronounce it. But uh, but anyway, you know, Finland were a very early, like Sweden and some of the, they were very early, you know, uh, taker-upper of, uh, of esports. And so the Finns uh, had a very big presence, had this website, they had all Finnish staff and then they hired an English-speaking contingent and then that English-speaking contingent sought me out, stole me away from Source Junkie, And then they were official coverage partners for the Championship Gaming Series, which was this Murdoch project. And so through that, they said, hey, do you want to go and cover this? And I went, yeah, of course, man. This is like huge, right? Why wouldn't I? So I went and um, on day one, I'm checking into a hotel. Funnily enough, I live in Birmingham now. Um, you know, the hotel's terrible. I know it. It's on New Street. It's actually garbage. (laughs) Uh, And they put us up in this hotel. Uh, I see it all the time. It always makes me laugh. Um, But uh, anyway, I'm in the lobby trying to get checked in. And there's this other guy who looks, he's pale, really thin, and he just looks tired and bedraggled. And I'm like, oh, you, you, you all right, dude? And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm just here. And he's Irish, you know. He's like, I'm here for this championship gaming series. And I went, oh, yeah, me too, right? And he went, oh, are you a player? I went, oh, no, no, too old for that, man. I'm a writer. And uh, so who are you? What are you in? And he was a Project Gotham racing player. Uh, called Neo Jake, I think. Anyway, he worked in a blockbuster in Northern Ireland, I think. Uh, blockbuster, remember them? And he uh, oh, he yeah. bas- he basically quit his job, sold all his shit, uh, got on a boat, got on the ferry, and came over to be in the Championship Gaming Series uh, because he thought he could get drafted and 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 win. Uh, and, uh, you know, and he was, like I a Project Gotham racing player. And I was, like, listening to his story, and I was like, oh, shit, man, that's, like, crazy, you know? Not a lot of people yeah. really push push all their chips into the middle like that. So I got up to my room, got checked in. I said, good to see you, man. Like, uh, best, best of luck in the tournament. I got up in my room, and I was kind of, like, sat there bored, you know? It's a tiny little room. It's about half the size of this office I'm in now. And uh, I'm like, uh, get my laptop out, and I think, you know what? Can bash out fifteen hundred words pretty quick on that dude. You know, you know, setting the scene. There I was, you know, ex- exhausted and hungover in a, a hotel in Birmingham. My, my God, why am I here? You know, blah blah, blah. and you know, trying to channel that uh, Gonzo shtick I used to do. And I started writing up this guy's story. You know, I called it Neo Jake's Big Sacrifice, I think it was. And uh, I filed my copy. I'd already got my article out of the way. The daily article I had to do, filed my copy, sent it to Cadred. They send their articles onto the CGS, and I go right, brilliant. Uh, let's hit the bar. Work done, yeah, done. Work mm-hmm. done. Yeah, you're done for the day. <laughs> a- ain't, ain't it great to be a journalist? <laughs> so I go at a bar. I'm knocking in, you know, shot on a brew, shot on a brew, shot on a brew. Get wrecked, meet everybody. Brilliant. Go to bed. Uh, wake up the next day. Got an email. Um, we need to see you immediately, like at the at the event, man. What have I said now, you know? Um, and uh, get there. And uh, the head of the Championship Gaming Series uh, coverage is there. Big guy in the suit, you know. And uh, I'm there with, like, the guys I know from Cadred. And uh, he goes, did you write that uh, piece about the the Irish guy? And I went, yeah, 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 I did, yeah. Yeah, and he went, that's exactly what we're looking for. That is that is that is it. That is, you've got it. Uh, that's what we're trying to do. We've got to win hearts and minds, you know, like big, like, Bombastic guy, uh, hearts and yeah, yeah. minds. We got to make people believe this is real. We got to make people believe that this is worth sacrificing for. Sacrifice, perfect word. Love it. Love what you did. Who are you? Where did you train? No, no, no. And I was just like, boom! I like just it's a hyper, like I'm hungover. Like, oh god, this is like a yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, he said, right. Well, you don't work for Kadrid anymore. You work for us. We're bringing you in. We're well, you're our, you're our lead features writer for the Championship Gaming Series. Uh, talk to him. He'll get you set up. We'll 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 pay you. How does a thousand dollars a a month sound? Well, yeah, sounds great, man. It's better than nothing, right? Um, better than what Cadred aren't paying me. So that was it. That was the first job I got. I got super lucky with an article, and I said to Cadred, "I guess I don't work for you anymore, guys. I'm going to be over here." And they were like, "Yeah, well, we'll, we'll double print all your stuff." And so I was. I got a promotion on day one, and then funnily enough, I, I. This is what's really crazy, but I know the story's already gone on a bit long. Um, but I actually got a promotion again by the end of the week. I went from being like the senior features writer to the head of all European content coverage because of what Jeez. I was doing. And so, <laughs> and then uh, got fired. <laughs> um, get that and I'll, let me just tell you how that ends i mean i because a lot of, a, a lot of people think i got shit canned when the cgs went under but that's not true that's not what happened they already hated me because somebody sent them in photos of me on a rugby tour where i was like you know we were all drunk and silly hats and trousers around our ankles as is the way and they said look at him and he's very you know, very." Very inappropriate. And so they gave me a warning over that, saying, you're in the public eye, you need to think about how you behave. I'm like, all right, guess I'm a celebrity now and have to worry about people taking my picture. But uh, <laughs> then uh, what happened was, uh, there was I went and I, I covered a story about a team, uh, London Mint, their Counter-Strike team, and they had internal strife. They were having lots of problems. And this really spilled over into two of the players having a physical fight. And so I wrote an article all about like how hard these guys had worked and um, how these guys had, you know, kind of like they were friends and back when they were they played amateur camp strike together, but the money and the spotlight had brought all this tension upon them. And mm-hmm. now suddenly if you had a bad game, you weren't just letting the team down, you were potentially stealing away a life-changing opportunity and that, that putting put putting the tension through that lens and changed everything. So I wrote it up. I wrote it up exactly as it happened, like that. They had a fist fight, sent it in. Same guy who loved me and said, wow, you're catching the raw sacrifice and the passion of esports, said we can't print that. Makes us sound like uh, amateur, you know, like makes us sound unprofessional. I went, no, that makes you sound great. That's real. That's real. And he said, well, we're not printing that. Uh, you need to write us another article overnight because your deadline's tomorrow. And I said, well, I'm not you've got my article london's burning boom it's there you really should print that and they said we're not going to send us another article i said i won't so the next day i look at the front page of the cgs website and there i am richard lewis with an article and it was called something like isn't esports great And, and and it was it wasn't my words it was uh, my my editor from Cadred, Max Silver, now a professional poker player, had written it, but they put my name and my face on it. Hmm. So I said to them, "I said, do you realize how un- wow. do you realize how grotesquely unethical that is?" <clears throat> uh, they said, "Well, you didn't send us in another article." And I said, "I told you I wasn't. You had mine. I hit my deadline." And then they and then they went away. And then they got back to me and they said, "Oh, it was a mistake. We didn't mean to do it." Mm, and then by sure. the end of that day, they said, do you know what? You're an arsehole. Um, so you're fired we, we 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 just don't see an upside to working with you anymore so my my m- meteoric rise to being a salary journalist to being ahead of a salary journalist, to being on <laughs> camera with the cgs sort of all crashed and burned because i wanted to tell the truth and esports isn't big on that yeah talking about a speed bump huh literally mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah
1: it's all right i mean to cut you off earlier jake so
0: Uh, No, I, the only question, uh, well, a quick aside was that Nephi and I contend with this all the time, but in esports, you tend to have two levels of professionals, Mm -hmm. people that are more public facing and more on air and people that are a little bit, maybe more behind the scenes, (laughs) certainly your C-suite executives, your lawyers, some of your journalists. But I think a calculus that we always undertake is, do we move forward in the space with our actual names or do we use like a gamer tag Mm -hmm. or how do we really try and make ourselves known in the space. Did you go through any of those calculations when you were first getting into eSports journalism of do you use a a gamer tag or do you use your real Yeah, I mean, you know, I had a
2: gamer tag because I used to play and uh, that spilled over because it was, um, you know, it was just the norm. Uh, You carried your gamer rep forward with you, but I didn't have any rep. I wasn't good. I never played professionally. I was too old. I was already old. Uh, by eSports standards, but at the start. So, you know, I'm ancient now. I'm like a eSports Methuselah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, like, so I, I got rid of it, like I say, once we hit the, what I call the golden age of eSports, which is 2010 onwards, because uh, everything, you know, it was a golden age because everything had changed. Uh, we had YouTube now. We had Twitch, um, you know, formerly just in TV. StarCraft 2 had propelled us into the mainstream in ways that other games hadn't. And I was like, right, we're going to be mixing with real people now. We're mixing with celebrities. I'm going to meet, you know, real real journalists and real writers and real documentary producers. I can't introduce myself as Gonzo. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dr. Gonzo. No matter, yeah, this is juvenile, you know. So I got rid of it. But, I mean, it was never, like, calculated. It just felt like... You know, if he's esports has grown up, it's it's time for us to do so. You know, I mean, I like you have to, like right. as a journalist, you put out a bunch of like really diabolically terrible in retrospect, like think pieces and opinion pieces. I've done the whole thing, like you know, I probably there's a piece out there I've written because you know I was on deadline once a week, so it can't <laughs> all be gold. You know, like some of it is just trash. Um, you know, I, 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 I've written the piece. We should get rid of gamer names in in. E- spots you know i've, I've written that <laughs> probably there's something um, yeah, yeah, but, well fortunately all the websites get closed after about five years, so I can never be held accountable for so all yeah, the terrible
1: writing I did ter-
2: <laughs> Yeah, I can never be held accountable for all the terrible writing I did, yeah. but um, <laughs> you know, like I've probably written that, and I'm, I know I have and uh, you know, at the end of the day I actually have warmed to the idea I like the way that players get to brand themselves, create an identity and that will make sense for a player, it makes sense for an influencer, it just doesn't make sense for a journalist or anyone on that seriously i mean like you know a lawyer for example right like, you know you're if you right. introduce yourself to a client as you know hi i'm john elite sniper wolf davies you know yeah you know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go with someone else i think right? yeah so so yeah i mean uh, you know <laughs> I, I i just I, I just realized the type of work i wanted to do it was like it wasn't about community rep anymore it was about something a bit more important okay
0: well speaking of that being a bit more important uh, what were some of the motivating factors and what were the opportunities you saw as you were developing that uh, I Buy
2: Power and Netcoats guide mm. piece? Well, so by that point, because that's obviously the big story everyone w- wants to talk about. It's like being a detective and you, you caught a murderer or whatever. Um, that was, I'd already done, for me, many more significant pieces of work. I Somewhere in that golden age, when i be, you know, actually a little bit before, like I realised one of the things I saw, because I was a little bit older than everybody else, that it was just a, an industry that was just rife for opportun- opportunities for abuse. Um, you've got young, naive people, young, naive adults who are being fed a dream, who doesn't want to play professional video games for a living. I mean, that's essentially what we sell to the teenagers, the the oil in the machine, if you like, uh, their talent is synthesized into all these revenue streams, and they get a tiny little piece of it generally, um, and in some cases they get nothing. You know, so how, how the typical the typical you know machine the, the the way esports works is this: a guy who has failed in business um, but has a little bit of money uh, enough to buy a nice suit identifies esports as being a great area full of opportunities because it's full of young naive people they come in they're older they're physically impressive they look good they're eloquent uh, and they're talking to very under socialized typically teenagers who just want to do what they love and they promise them "Uh, if you do x y and z i will give you the world on a plate and they get they get exploited and I saw so much of this people that were lying about the money they had contracts that weren't worth the paper they were written on players being ground into dust by just constant do this for the sponsor do this for the sponsor practice 10 hours a day do this do this and not a penny in compensation Um, and I, I hated it the first when I got my weekly column which was called Wait for it, Gonzaria. <laughs> um, I, I, I chose. I like that. it. I, I like it. Yeah, I I chose that. <laughs> it was literally called the Dark Stinking Tides of Esports, um, and uh, it opened with the famous quote from Warren Buffett, which is, uh, "It's only when the tide goes out you can see who's been swimming naked," and and that perfectly summed up all of the smoke and mirrors and bullshit that was going in esports and i saw i saw kids it's not just financial exploitation there was other much more sinister stuff going on some of that obviously has come out now we got some of the monsters we've had our me too movement but there was a lot of really sinister shit and every time i thought i was going to get out 'Cause I wasn't making money on this, you understand. My girlfriend is like, Richard, you're a grown man. You've got holes in your shoes. Why are you doing this? You with your C V you can go get a real job. Um But you know, so I but I, I had to stick around. How'd you walk away from that when it you're the only person talking about it? You know, I would have Yeah would let every would have let all of those kids down. Right. And so, you know, by 2014, I am the guy that breaks that story. If somebody is doing something bad, if a contract is exploitative, uh, you know, if someone's manipulating players, if someone's breaking promises, I'm the guy that writes about it. Everyone telling me, uh, year after year, all the people, Richard, have you ever thought about writing about how good esports is? No, <laughs> I, I, I don't need to write that. There's millions of people that will write that story. Uh, Richard, you know, if you you're really hurting the industry by writing that, if if the industry can't survive that type of scrutiny, it doesn't deserve to survive at all. Um, and so, by 2014, you know, I did I did a story called um, I can't remember what, uh, what what type fancy title we gave it, but basically, what had happened was there was a player at an organization called Meet Your Makers that were playing League of Legends, which was the big game at the time, still is, um, and and uh, this player wanted to leave. And he joined them when he was a kid. And so his mother had signed as a, um, whatever they call it, you know. Um, Guardian. That's it. Uh, and, uh, yeah. you know, and, and and anyway, I got a recording of a manager threatening that player, saying, "We, your mother's on the contract. If you leave our team, we'll put her on the streets. We'll take her house. And he was banging doors and punching walls and intimidating this, like, 17-year-old kid. And uh, I ran that story. And that guy got banned for... You know, from working in the League of Legends ecosystem, now that to me is much more important than you know. I buy power, yeah. um, but but anyway, right. you know. So I mean, by, by the time the I buy power story came along, it was just like we'd created a bunch of, you know, we Valve had accidentally created the first ever cryptocurrency with skins. Mm. Very unlike Valve, they hadn't really thought about what that might mean. Yeah. Their API is open, right. so everybody could do whatever they wanted uh, and create cool stuff. Because Valve like people to create cool stuff. Like basically, we we're all in Valve's petri dish, and they watch. Oh, look, cool! <laughs> uh, you know, uh, yeah. It, it's a virus that's killing everyone, Awesome. <laughs> uh, and and you know, they're like the mad scientists, you know. And so. When they created the skins, um, you know, and, and and all of these skins casinos that with with weren't age-gated came up, unregulated gambling, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously everybody was fixing games. Everybody wanted this inventory. Everybody wanted the skins. It wasn't even just about the money. It was like the status of being able to yeah. say, like, look at this, you know, knife that's worth $4,000 or whatever, um, you know, just in-game cosmetic items. But in that time period, it was a mess. Our competitive scene had blown up. People were watching the games just to gamble skins on the games. So we had this massive spike in viewership but a massive spike in fixed games and match-fixing activity. And, yeah. and what happened there was, you know, basically you ended up with – People like DDoSing all of the games, like if they were about to lose, because if you do a denial of service attack and the server goes down, all the bets would be returned because the game couldn't be finished. Uh, You had players being threatened, death threats, doxxed. You had, you know, obviously people who had never paid any attention to Counter-Strike before organized crime coming in and saying to, you know, players, like, fix this game and Mm -hmm. we've got some cash bets going on, but we'll make sure you get some skins out of it. And the sad reality was I, by power, essentially died for everyone else's sins. That was the... I'd heard about fixing you know over and over and over again but i hold myself to a super high standard when it comes to evidence and what you publish and so that was the first one i was able to get fully over the line to a standard which by the way it's a standard that no other journalist in any other sphere would be held to um you know testimony testimony and betting patterns would have been enough but not in esports because yeah. you've got to convince the kids who love these players. They idolize them. They worship them. Everybody said I was a liar with the Eye by Power story. I Power yeah. said I was a liar. Went on one of the most popular streamer at the time. Stream said I was a liar. Said I was an old man just desperate for relevance and attention. All the kids were, you know, threatening me. People hacked my email. People uh, were DDoSing me. It was a miserable six to nine months to get that story over the line uh, just for one fixed match, one time. And what did it? achieve absolutely nothing we got more fixed matches now than ever in tier two and tier yeah. three um yeah well, uh, and and
1: and let me let me step in and, and kind of i'm giving you a little more credit than probably you're giving yourself you know part part of the reason why people like jake and myself revere or or people like you is that you talk about sort of the gruesome or the nasty aspects of esports right mm. part of the reason why jake and i got into this particular Field of of legal practice and one we're fans. We grew up in this environment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we're we're a little bit younger than you are, and so for us, we started a little bit earlier on in our careers. But part of the reason why we started doing this was because we saw that there was some exploitation happening on behalf mm-hmm. of the players, and uh, and and not not wholly for that reason alone, but that was one of the things, at least for me, that drove me to one start this podcast to provide some education for people, but two to to sort of help create an environment where it's people aren't being exploited constantly and everybody's mm. getting a fair shake and you know our goal also whenever we're working with developers or league organizers is so that they're also getting a fair shake from you know publishers that have uh, or or sponsors and companies that have just hordes of lawyers that you know protect them but you know take advantage of of the scene and so one of the not as sexy And that's a term that we use, not Mm. literally for those younger crowds, but not as sexy aspect of esports is sort of these negative things. And people like yourself get a bad rap because um, it's not the popular thing to talk about. It's a negative aspect of what we do. And nobody really likes to talk about the negative things. And so it puts you kind of in this light where you sort of you're almost like a villain for talking about it. Yeah. You sort of embrace that to a degree, which is something that's worth revering. You know, it's something that's worth saying, look somebody's got to do it. If nobody's going to step up to the plate, somebody's got to do it. And mm. so I'm not saying, I'm not, you know, I'm sorry, Richard, go ahead.
2: No, I was just going to say, I mean, if, if, if it's any, uh, to, to give you some perspective on that, it absolutely isn't worth it. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it it's, I've wasted the best years of my life on an industry I actually actively despise now. Um, it's, it, there, there, there weren't enough people pushing back on the bullshit. And now, We've we've got all the same men in suits exploiting people, players being took for rides with stupid contracts that don't uh, that don't uh, benefit them in any way, shape or form. We've got uh, you know developers that like to play god. You know they microdose in the afternoons and they think they're the smartest person in the room and then they make terrible (laughs) esports games and they think they're like, you know, they think they're moral authorities and then their companies are full of systemic sexism and perverts and, you know, like preying on people um, and they think they still get to be industry leaders and moral authorities. Um, You've got blood money just pouring into the scene right now. Everybody wants to do a deal with the Saudis and then put a rainbow flag up in June. It's terrible. Our industry is awful. And, uh, you, you know, I, if I could go back in time and have a serious talk with myself, I would pull me out. Uh, because to see the state of the industry, now it hurts. It hurts yeah. to see it like this after after putting in so many years to try and keep it clean. And, you know, you would think, well, at least somebody would give you an attaboy uh, and say, you know, well, at least you tried. Uh, and you would be thought of quite fondly. Nah. On a long enough timeline, the way the internet works, you can only become the asshole. You can only become bad. They just wait for you to be imperfect. And uh, then a bunch of anonymous people uh, take you at your worst and say, see? See? he's like that all the time every day he wakes up like mask off his masks off and and that's it and you're stuck you're stuck you'll always be remembered uh, as you were on your worst day for all of eternity and of course obviously i'm a combative dude because i have to be for the nature of my work um and i'm a cynical dude which is healthy when you're getting bombarded with pr nonsense all the time um but uh, but obviously like you know no one said no one thinks Richard, wow yeah. Richard, you know the vast majority of people will be like good you know Richard Lewis should retire, fuck him he's an asshole, what did he <laughs> ever do so, so yeah. l- listen you don't even get like, you don't even get any sort of faint praise which would be enough you know, it would be enough to, for at least for, for me to go into retirement one day with all my treasured memories and stories and maybe sit down to write my memoirs. But no, you don't even get that. So this this industry is broken. The people that gravitate towards it are bad. Uh, nobody wants to do anything except make money from it. Um, and we have become – I'm writing an article at the moment called The Party's Over. It's a series of articles. Uh, basically, the party's over. The grand failure of esports, and I'm comparing it to what happened. I'm comparing what happened to esports as to what happened with the punk movement. You know, punk was about something. It was about, you know, yes, it was a lot of it was a lot of people that couldn't play instruments, and people go, oh yeah, the music wasn't very good because they were working class people they didn't have access to instruments they weren't taught music it was a working class rebellion musical movement it had something to say it captured a, a moment in history and it was about breaking rules and then what you fast forward like 10 12 years after it's become mainstream you know you're getting offered and never mind the Bo- never mind the bollocks uh, mastercard you know, it, it it we let the mainstream in, and the mainstream subverted what esports was, and now we're the same as everything else—just stale and pathetic and corporate. When that's all we are, we're just a corporate toy now, like football. Um, so yeah, it makes it just makes me really really sad. I I essentially yeah. I essentially realize I have wasted my life. <laughs> so you know, yeah. it's it, it's not a great feeling, but 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 yeah, yeah, you know, it is it it is what it is. Yeah. And it's, and it's tough to hear. Well, I, Sorry, Jay, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, well, you know, I think Niffy and I may disagree on that one. Cause you certainly had a huge impact on us mm. and our drive to bring a legal framework into the esports space. Um, and the type of articles you've written, the way you've investigated things we've certainly been impressed with. And like Niffy said, we definitely revere you for taking a stance against a strong current under which you could have just flowed with, but you chose to fight against. Mm. And so, we appreciate you. For- well, I mean, yeah.
2: th- you know, that that's the good thing about, you know, doing the teaching now is that, uh, you know, a lot of the people that are that are on the course that I teach at uh, the University of New Haven, as you talked about in the intro, they want to, they, they haven't had a lot of exposure to esports and the things I have, and they know I feel this way right the course is specifically about integrity and so when i'm when i'm talking to the students it's hey look at this terrible thing that happened in esports by the way that's happening in every continent you know and it's like that so but they they want to come in and make a difference and you know kind of take up the the standard if you like i think i tell them you're gonna be in for a hard time but you know don't let me put you off. Uh, and yeah. I was gonna say you crazy kids, but actually a lot of them are mature <laughs> students as well um, and yeah. they want they want to run companies and do startups and try and plug some of the integrity. So uh, you know uh, even though I don't want to be in it anymore, I don't want to be in the trenches per se, I'm least, I'm kind of like a drills an eSports drill sergeant now I guess yeah I'm, prepare, yeah. I'm preparing people <laughs> for uh, for the horrors of war. Yeah,
1: and and I don't I don't blame you for for sort of the opinions that you have on the on on this particular topic on, on esports in general because of the things that you've experienced. I mean, you've been in there early on and you've seen it evolve. Now, obviously, the our our take, you know, we're and and me personally using sort of educational. I'm more of a romantic whenever it comes to mm-hmm. esports. Um, I absolutely agree that there are some aspects that are that are negative. There's a lot of exploitation of players. Um, of of people, a family, especially because a lot of these kids come from nothing to to I mean to a multi billion dollar industry now, and mm. you know and and the talent is kids, you know. I, and one of the things that Jake and I talk about is the state of esports now, regardless of, and it's very young. It's been around for for a little bit, but it's very still very young. We yeah. sort of see it as how the entertainment and the sports business was early on, where you know, these guys, and and you, you say it in a very harsh way, but it's also a, sort of a wake-up way to explain it. Um, you know, I I, I I look on it a little more positively in that there are some people in the scene now that are trying to make a difference. Do I think mm. every single person that's in the scene that owns organizations that is looking to make money are bad people? No, because, you know, the ecosystem depends on folks with money that see the, the, the benefit of it, right? Inherently, it's a business at the end of the day Should you exploit people for, for profit? Absolutely not. And that's something that Jake and I are trying to make a difference in something that there are Mm. people in the industry that are trying to make a difference. Is it going to make a difference? Big picture, nobody knows. Right. Um, obviously your take is, 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 you know, it hasn't changed yet. And so maybe not, or probably not. Um, you know, and like I said, I'm a romantic. I like to think Mm. that, you know, things are going to be better. Um, you know, especially with certain games like CS:GO, which is one that you're very heavily have been in the scene Um, is more of a european thing it's Mm. very popular in na but we all know that na doesn't compete with the rest of the world as far as those particular scenes and you know i think the laws are catching up with the scene um and to potentially avoid some of the very negative things that you've seen and that you've experienced and that you obviously have personal knowledge about um you know, th- th- and and, th- and that's the thing, right? People hate to hear these kinds of things coming from you because, you know, a lot of people like us grew up with this stuff. Have mm-hmm. have a sincere. Like and love for esports and the scene, and it's sort of offensive to them to hear things like yeah, you say. Very, very uh, much so, um, yeah. and and people don't like that. People don't like whenever something they love so much is is spoken negatively about. That's just things in general, yeah. and so people like Jake and I, you know, we're this. We we hear negative things on a daily basis, and we understand there are people that are like you that have experience and don't have such a, a positive view on the scene. But you know, that's the reality of it, right? Is that there are some negative aspects. Now, obviously, I, I'm i not as pessimistic as to the scene. I, I think there is inherently good. I think a lot of people will be able to, to fulfill their dreams doing something that they love um, and and hopefully not get exploited for it and, and are smart and seek counsel whenever they're doing anything to avoid being found in these situations like a lot of the things that you've experienced. And so, you know, and, and, you know, unfortunately that's, that's the sad reality is, is, you know, this is a growing, uh, uh, and I don't know if I would say these are growing pains, but, um, this is sort of the dirty and nasty side of, of, you know, whenever money is involved, you're Mm going to have crooks, you're going to have people that exploit, you're going to have people that, um, do things to, to benefit themselves, whether it's at the cost of somebody else or not. And so, and it's something we talk about. I mean, nobody talks about ESIC. Jake and I have already done an episode on ESIC and and the importance of, of, of the integrity commission, um, because it's a big deal. And, and a lot of this stuff is sort of in the shadows. People don't, people don't even know that ESIC is a thing. People don't know that there's a governing body and, you know, and, and I mean, you, you know, recently there was a big tournament where there was uh, uh, a few coaches that got in trouble for, you know, um, Uh, doing things that they shouldn't have. And everybody Mm -hmm. was very, very negative. Everybody saw it negatively and they were upset and they were mad, but you have to hold people accountable. That's, that's the purpose of, of ESIC for example. And just, just, that's just one example. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we can have a really, really long conversation about it and talk about all the negatives and the ugly. Uh, But you know, to be fair, there are some good things about it. And I know you, I know you say, that if you could go back and do it all over again, you would change your mind and pull yourself out. What, me for once, and I can only speak for myself, and Jake might echo my, my uh, feelings, is I'm glad that you didn't. And I'm glad that you stayed in there. Mm. And I'm glad that you've done what you do because we need people like you in the scene, right? It, it, people, they either love you or they hate you, right? And, and there, it might be more hate than love, it sounds <laughs> like. Uh, yes. But, you know, I, I want you to know that there are people like myself that we, we were glad that people like you are around. And I know, you know, one of the guys um, that we work with, that's a huge CSGO fan. His name's Isaac. Um, he's another young attorney. Uh, I mean, mm. he, he reveres you. I mean, the guy says Richard Lewis, he's, he's, he's important and you guys need to get him on. And, you know, I'm really glad that you came and you spoke to us today. And, you know maybe it's not all peaches and cream at the end of the day but that's just the reality of esports like every other business there's going to be a dark oh and negative side to it you know
2: it's uh it it, it is peaches and cream just not for the people that deserve the peaches and cream <laughs> <laughs> you know someone's having a great big bowl of peaches and cream right now cream on tap with just peaches just out coming out of a sluice just yeah, uh, yeah PR yeah <laughs> Georgia peaches delicious but you know at the end of the day not the people that deserve it that's the problem and it's it's also yeah. where are those peaches coming from and, and where's the cream coming from? And, you know, yeah. it, it's uh, yeah. and, and, and unfortunately that the, the real problem at the heart of esports right now is, you know, we've got to a point where we, d- you can essentially largely put people into two groups incompetent and unethical. And that's it, really. You know, yeah. people again, like I know this good guy, so I'll assume you're good guys. You're one of the good guys. We're good <laughs> guys, right? Okay. And and maybe if you're watching this podcast, you're a good guy too. All right. No need to get upset. Don't catch feelings. <laughs> I'm talking in generalities, right? But but you know, the, the 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 reality that that's the reality. And then on top of that, what what are esports principles? What are our values? We don't have any. Our value has always been sell what we have to the highest bidder. Not even after we don't even negotiate. That is we, we 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 are we are just it's it's just embarrassing what esports is. You know it's like we sold like back back in back in my day. Uh, You know, we sold out to the developers and then we sold out to the skins casinos and then we sold out to the case opening sites. Then we sold out to the shady gambling sites that weren't regulated and with strange licenses in countries you've never heard of before. And then we sold out to the cryptocurrency guys and then we sold out to the NFTs and then we sell now we're selling out to tyrannical regimes that kill people for the way they are. It uh, we will. There's no money we won't say no to in esports. There isn't not one. There's not a single penny that we could say. ooh, I don't like that. No, we we the people who are here don't want to build something good. They don't want to build like the promise of esports is. Hey, do you like competition, but maybe don't want to go out and get CTE? Uh, Well, hey, look, we've got something for you, internet generation, Zoomers. You can channel your competitive energy into something that makes sense to you. You can use that, you know, high twitch muscle fiber that you've got, an incredible, like, ability to dial in on multiple things at once that my generation doesn't have because we weren't raised with the types of computers we're being raised with now. You can create an identity for yourself aspects of your identity aspects of your personality you can create a digital avatar and only reveal about yourself what you want you can literally meet anyone from all over the world in real time at any given moment you can get away from the bullies outside the parents downstairs and meet people that you wouldn't encounter by opening your door and going out and you can have an experience with them that means something you can accomplish something you can win something and you can do it all in this digital space and you and and, and be who you want to be while doing it. it esports could have been incredible it could have been the best thing ever but we just let the foxes into the hen house. And now what you've got is all of that promise being sold out to the worst people. How in good conscience can you say, let's go and have an esports tournament in Riyadh? How can you announce that during Pride Month? What do the gay esports fans do with that? What are you telling them? You know, and it it just makes me sad. It makes me sick to think that we could, you know, Esports was a unifier, and now we we are taking money from dividers, and we're doing it, and we're doing it all the while, while the same people that are in bed with people like that, in bed with projects like Neon, literally killing tribes people and stealing their land to build a tech, tech futuristic hotel for westerners. You, we're people are in bed with them, and then they they get on social media and they go, "Yeah, you gamers are assholes. You know, mm. you you're the real bad people." Yeah. And, and and there's this negative poison that they spew out about how you're wrong. But they're good. And actually, no, ex, you know, excuses have to be made when you get in, when you work with China. No, you can't say Uyghur Muslims. No, you can't say free Hong Kong. No, you can't say free Tibet. No, you can't say the Dalai Lama isn't a criminal. You can't say Taiwan is its own country. Sorry, that's too political. Uh, we don't want you to talk about these things. It might hurt our bottom line. Now, by the way, His here's 10 hours of fuck Donald Trump. It's pathetic. Our industry is pathetic. We don't fight the monsters. No one's got the stomach or the heart for it. I did it for nearly two decades. I'm still trying to do it on the way out the door. I just want someone to help. (laughs) Will someone just stand for something in this industry of clowns, buffoons, and evil? And they won't. They won't. And it's not me who's getting Like I've done my time and I've made my money and made my reputation and I'll probably get a book deal somewhere along the line and live on the meager residuals that'll provide whatever. I managed to turn procrastination into a career. That's fantastic, right? Uh, Esports did all right with me. But these kids that are coming in now, they're getting exposed to stuff that they shouldn't. They're getting exposed to predatory marketing practices. They're getting exposed to NFTs. You know, you've got, you've got, Kids killing themselves, committing suicide because they think they're bankrupt, because they put everything in a cryptocurrency, and esports teams and influencers are pushing this shit on people. It's outrageous. It's you can't I can close my eyes, throw a dart, and hit some unethical, predatory, dangerous practice in our industry. And everyone says it's what we have to do to keep the lights on. Then you know, for me, fuck it. I'd rather live in the dark. I, I, I cannot in good conscience champion this industry like I used to. It's it it, yeah. it uh, you, and i know you know what i'm talking about
1: yeah no no absolutely and and um and, and again the the my approach is a little less pessimistic but you're not you're not saying things that are crazy or untrue mm. um and and you know for I mean, like i said what what you're saying is it makes sense and it's sadly um, you know, these things, esports like, you know, FIFA and Qatar with, with the World Cup, I mean, just human, you know, um, human rights violations. And it's just, it's, it's unfortunately a common practice and, and it's, it's really a, a, a sort of a virus, if you like, in, in these types of <laughs> industries where
0: yeah. he's involved. It's called, it's called sport washing. Mm. Yeah. It's called sport yeah. washing and it's not, it's not limited to esports. It's, uh, kind of across the board seen that with, right. with golf. And a variety of other, you know, F1, some other sports. Yeah. Um, so it's not uncommon. Yeah. And I think that to the extent that anything infects traditional sports, we should anticipate that to infect esports at this point yeah. as
2: well. Yeah. Uh, I mean it, it's, it, it, it's it's, it's the literally it the same. Yeah. It's literally the same entities as well. That's the yeah, you know, that that's the problem with it. I would I would yeah. love it to be um you know I, I i would love i would love it to be like you know we 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 we've got sustainable revenue streams in our business you know i mean the fans have to carry a little bit of the can no one pays for anything in esports and yet everybody wants everything you know right. they want the biggest right. tournaments with the biggest prize pool the best tv production all their favorite commentators you know like so and, and no one will pay pay-per-view or anything like that so i get it but unfortunately, the, the, the reality is, it just get it keeps getting progressively worse. You have a yeah. crucible on gambling. You know, looks like loot crates are going to get kind of shut down as a concept now because games developers are so greedy. They've literally killed the goose that laid the golden egg. They could have just had a little bit of the loot crate. No, they went mental with them. Uh, yeah. They could have just had a little bit of the case opening. No, they've gone mental with them. Um, but but you know, the problem is like, give me give me that over Saudi Arabia and, and the United Arab Emirates and the Chinese government you know g- give me give me that but we you know we we just keep going to the next step like literally everybody in esports just looked for what the next big scam is and now we've arrived at the at the end stage the final destination for every corrupt sport on planet earth oil money <laughs> blood money we're here you know it's it's sad it's uh, i never thought it would get to this I always thought we'd. Uh, I always thought we'd. we we'd, we'd. draw a line before we got to here, but we, yeah. we just didn't. We never did. Yeah. Or rather, the people that drew the line didn't. Didn't count. Yeah, you know they're not important enough. Yeah,
1: and and you know it. This is sort of a new um, new territory for esports. Maybe not for other you know sports no. or, or things of this nature uh as far as we're and i'm talking specifically the last thing you talked about which is you know this whole thing with saudi Mm. arabia and the rocket league tournament that's coming up and you know we've talked a little bit about it in this on this podcast um and you know it's it is something that um people are torn about and you know Mm. again it's this is a conversation that we can have and um that that will last for hours and unfortunately here we're running a little bit close to our time because i know that we're that that yeah richard you were kind enough to give us a yeah.
0: time we, we are close to our time but we <laughs> we do need to have you on again because we did well, touch on a lot of subjects i was
2: going to say i, I don't want to end on, on a i don't want to end on a bum note uh, <laughs> not but, uh, you know so if you've got a if you've got like a night gee, what are you doing next tell us something cool i, I don't know whatever, whatever 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 the last few questions we're not, are. We're, we're, st- we're not, st- <laughs> i was going to say richard we're, we're not, that doesn't mean we're, i'm shutting this down
1: i'm just I'm, I'm giving you a heads up that we're 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 uh, no, that's fine. I'll I'll, but, 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 I'll, steer uh, us
2: aw- I'll steer us will away from sports washing island. I'll, <laughs> I'll no, st- no, no. And, <laughs> and th- these these are things no, that, these are that. things
1: that we have we have to sort of bring attention to. Right, Jake mm. and I aren't aren't so naive to ignore these types of things our job especially as attorneys are are to make sure that whoever we represent whoever we're working with are getting a fair shake there's inherently going and and that's just the nature of business right and and like Jake and I we understand we work with a lot of these business people a lot of them you know they ask us and they and they say hey i need you to do something that's very beneficial to me i don't care what it does for other people and at that point it's up to our moral compass to see what we're going to do see whether or not we can mm. you know for you know, take that task up or pass it up and I like to think that Jake and I, um, you know, at least feel morally obligated to do what we can to make sure that whoever we're dealing with, they're getting a fair shake. Yeah,
0: and I do think I do think that sport, sport watching that whole issue needs to be its own episode, and it mm. will be for us. So we'd like to have you back. Oh, hundred percent.
2: Discuss that. 100%. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually. Um, you know what's what's interesting is um, on my podcast. You know, because I, I, I meet a lot of um, you know journalists that uh, work in uh, sports integrity as well, not just esports. And um, I'm going to have a, a chap called uh, Kareem Zidane. Uh, who's written at the guardian and the new york times and he is like he specializes in um doing you know reporting around sports washing sports washing and indeed he is uh you know he's he's a few nasty people are after him because uh uh he's written about like you know how the chechens have took over mma and stuff like this so he's um he's a really interesting cat and uh yeah yeah, i I, I might be able to put you in touch with him he's like he's like one of the go-to authorities on international sports Mm. watching yeah yeah
1: okay well uh, I know, I, I know. We we sort of took a turn that was perhaps mm. unexpected for the listeners, uh, but that it was all obvious. fun and games, wasn't it? In
2: 2008? <laughs> oh, look, there he is in the championship gaming series, getting promoted on the first day. Wow, isn't esports cool? And then it went all sour. Sorry, and then it's like now. Eh. But no, I mean, it's
1: it, you know, it's it's one of those things where uh, you, you've you've got to talk about it, right? It's an awkward conversation mm. to have. Um, it's one that I think we. We we don't have enough time now to to and I don't want you guys to think that we're shying away from the subject, um, mm-hmm. you know. It's I think that's a, that's a conversation for another day. But with that being said, um, you know, and 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 Richard, you kind of you kind of harped on it a little bit. What what do you have going on? What's coming up next? Uh, maybe maybe uh, you know. So and and it's it's not even just that we're ending on a on a negative note because I I, I mm. don't consider it a negative note. We got to talk about it. But uh, what do you have going on? What is there something you want to talk about? You want people to look out, keep an eye out for.
2: Uh, yeah, just um, you know listen if you if you want to catch more unhinged, rants like this uh you can go to my twitch richard lewis reports go there i'm like literally grinding content now uh, between now and december i don't have anything to do until basically the esports awards uh where i'm flying out nominated i'm hoping to win my third esports journalist of the year hey, award there we to, go. To, to to go with the other two and my lifetime achievement award because i am nice. amazing um but we, if you got we'll spots on your table <laughs> for the
1: esports award let us
2: know we'll come by yeah well so you you, sh- you should you should you should get out there. They're, they're usually a blast. Lots of people drink yeah. way too much makeup uh, make And it's in Vegas themselves. this year. It's, yes. it's oh, a, a little more exciting it- than Dallas. <laughs> Yes, it'll be an absolute train wreck. I can't wait. Um, so, yeah, but um, obviously as well, if you're interested in enrolling in a, a, sports, inte- in a sports and esports sports integrity course, uh, definitely check out the University of New Haven. Uh, you know, there's some new semesters coming up, but it's a course that they're going to run moving forward. Um, I'm just the adjunct professor. I work under the fabulous Declan Hill, who uh, was actually one of my Inspirations uh, as a journalist, he famously covered fixing in football and and covered all of the corruption in you know UEFA and stuff like that. He's uh, he's a legend in the sports writing industry uh, and a wonderful eccentric. So um, it's a fantastic course with really good um, opportunities there. So if that sounds like it would interest someone, definitely check it out. As I said, University of New Haven, Connecticut. So yeah, uh, you know I, I occupy my time uh, while I'm sat around mourning the the death of uh, esports uh, as i as i know and love it but uh, but yeah thanks so much for, for having me on it's always great no, to, to talk no
1: i thank, thank you for taking the time always, to come and talk to us always a pleasure absolutely yeah. no and and, mm. and and you know with with uh production like we've got that is relatively new and young you know it's it, it, it it's awesome to get people like you to give us your time to come talk to us and uh you know we look forward to to so getting to talk to you again and kind of delving deeper into this particular subject that we're sort of ending on. Uh, but with that being said, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you guys so much for watching. Make sure you guys follow Richard Lewis on all uh, social media. Go go check out his Twitch. Uh, we've popped in on some of his streams. We typically lurk whenever we're in there because uh, you seem to get into it. And, and you know, we, we it's, it's, it's fun and you definitely learn a lot. If you guys are interested in taking that course, uh, remember, guys, uh, it's at University of New Haven um and it's an esports integrity course uh and so and i'm sure you guys can sign up online get some more information on their website but thank you guys so much for listening watching for stopping by uh make sure you guys follow us on all socials on twitter we're just a lot of esports across the board um thank you guys so much and we will see you guys on the next episode see
0: you guys